Well, I'm an expert on the field of our current series. We're talking about sin. It's not funny. Not funny at all. Hey, grab your Bible, but uh, just hold tight to it. Uh, This is one of the rare weeks where we're not going to be in a single passage or a single text. Uh, I'm going to jump around on you a lot, so you can jot the passages down if I if I remember to give them to you. Uh, But just uh, just enjoy this week because this week, uh, in a sense, is all icing compared to what we normally do. We normally dig in and we're we're in the cake of the text. We're usually going through verse by verse. This week, I told you that in this series on the doctrine of sin, we were going to get to a point where we finally got to the most practical of messages. And and that's really where we are today. We've been churning through some of the, the foundational portions of the doctrine of sin. We talked about where does sin come from? What's the origin? Is it God's fault? Is it Satan's fault? Is it man's fault? Uh, Where did it come from? Uh, How does it get from one human to the next? We talk about that transmission factor. How much sin do we get if we get it from Adam? Uh, Does it come from mom and dad? We talked about some of those foundational things about sin. We talked about the the very basic definition, Old Testament, New Testament, some of the some of the most common words used for sins. We've been talking about some of that nitty gritty stuff. And then you remember we jumped and spent a couple weeks in Romans chapter seven, just coming to grips with the reality of the fact that, listen, as believers, sin is still around. You remember, we looked in Romans five and it says over and over and over that we are to be dead to sin. But it never once says that sin died. Right. Christ died as our example on the cross. We are to die. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin. But it never once says, and I wish it did, that sin were dead. I mean, sin is still to be dealt with in the believer's life, right? And you guys know that, but I hope you were just happy to hear someone who is uh, supposed to be the official stand up here and say, you know what, you're right, sin's not gone, okay? Because some of you, if you were like me early on in my Christian walk, were sitting out there saying, I don't know about everybody else, but sin's still hanging out. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just not getting it. So... Be at ease. Rejoice. Romans 7, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of your New Testament, says sin's still hanging on. Not only that, it's hanging on for dear life and it's wreaking havoc some days in this man's life. So we, we spent a couple weeks on that, just talking about the reality of the battle. Coming to the understanding that in some of us there is this tension of sin still hanging on, but my heart's desire... Is to do the will of God. My heart's desire is to please the God who saved me. To please the God we sing so, we sing so warmly about. Today, we jump to, not is sin a reality in the life of the believer, but if it is, and we already said it is, it's a strong reality. It is a, a formidable opponent. Then what do we do? And so, uh, I, I couldn't go on without just spending at least one day talking to you about maybe a battle plan for dealing with sin in the life of a believer, okay? Number one, the first thing I want to say to you here, and as a precursor to all this, is that we are secure, okay? We don't have to worry about that. We fight this battle of sin, but the big umbrella we need to know is that our sin nature was taken care of. The debt that was owed on our behalf was taken care of. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that. But I want to say that up front, and you're going to hear me say it in the end again, okay? A um, couple of announcements before I jump in, because I, I, can't, I can't miss these. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the Houston Fall Festival, and we need folks to sign up. Uh, we've got this sweet new DVD 
that uh, you guys starred in, and uh, we're going to give them away. We're going to make three, five hundred of these things. We found somebody who wants to make them, make all the copies for us, which is a big deal. They're going to make all the copies for us. Uh, they're really good. Okay, I'm really excited about them, and we're just going to start giving them away. We're going to give them to every new resident. We get a new residence list for everybody who moves into the area. We're going to send one to every new resident. And we're going to go to the Hushton Paul Festival. We're going to put up a TV. We're going to show it. And we're just going to give it away. It's, it's come visit Cornerstone on the couch in your home is what this DVD is. So we need you to sign up for a couple-hour block to come and help us at the Hushton Fall Festival. There's a sign-up on the sheet over there. Uh, also, life groups start this week. That is our adult small group time. It's where we get in and we take what we talk about here on Sunday Let me correct that. We take what I talk about here on Sunday and you talk about it and you get together and talk about it and you say, hey, what are we going to do with what Daryl said? More importantly, what are we going to do with what the Bible said on Sunday? Let's not go into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and forget about it. Let's get together and say, hey, what can we do with that? Let's not let's not leave it. Let's not leave it in the cafeteria. Okay. Uh, so that's life groups. We got two that are starting. One is in. Jefferson Walk. The other is in uh, Traditions. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, you can see me or see Preston afterwards, and we can get you directions. We got one on Wednesday night, one on Thursday night, and um, so yeah, you want to get involved in that. Um, all right, let's jump in here. Uh, battle plan for dealing with sin. The battle plan for dealing with sin. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, we give you this time, and as we go through here, what amount to just bullet points off my page. And we talk about we talk about the passages in the Bible that uh, that correlate. Would you would you settle our hearts and settle our minds? And we we might for the next few minutes, Lord, just these few minutes that we have. Well, just these few minutes that we've offered you out of this week. Would you help us to give them completely to you? That we might hear from your word. That our spirit might bear witness with this battle plan for fighting sin in the believer's life. We give you this time and we pray it in the precious name of Christ, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go, okay? Number one, the first thing I want to tell you uh, is that we need to, number one, know it is a battle. All right? And this just is a connection back to last week where we saw in Romans 7, there is a battle. Pretty simple, right? But... Don't fail to get it. There is a battle. There is a war going on. Now, ultimately, we win the war, uh, but there is a battle. Paul uses language often in Scripture that he is fighting the good fight. He's running the race. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, at one point, I buffet or I beat, some translations say, I beat my body into subjection. I mean, that's, that's war language. Paul is at war. In 2 Timothy 2, he calls us to be like soldiers, athletes, and farmers. None of which are easy jobs. Soldiers on the front lines. That's what Paul says it is, being a believer. Soldiers. Athletes who run hard. Who press their limit. Press the physical limits of their own body for success. Soldiers, athletes, and farmers. Uh, I, I've never been a farmer. Kimberly grew up on a farm, and her parents still have a farm. Uh, what I know is that it's not easy work, okay? It's not easy work. Incidentally, uh, some of the best kids these days come from families 
who are families that are either military, strong athletic background, or they're straight-out farmers. All right? Now, that's, that's not a hard and fast rule. But you ever notice that? Those are, those are good kids. Why? Because those are hard jobs. They force you to be diligent and disciplined. So, number one, you need to know that this is a battle and it's not an easy battle. All right? Number two, you need to know your sin. Essentially, what I'm saying here is you need to call your sin, sin. You need to call your sin, sin. So, you need to know there's a battle. Number two, you need to know your sin. Here's what I mean by that. Sin's not only wicked, the Bible says, but it is, it is deceitful. It's there, right? But it inevitably tries to hide itself. It's there. We know it's there. But it inevitably tries to morph itself into something other than evil, something other than sin. And we help it out, right? We help our own sin out by making it something less than it really is. Call sin, sin. We need to know, if we're going to be successful in fighting this battle, we need to look at our sin and call it what it is. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't make excuses for it. Or blame it on our past, our parents, our environment, any of that. We can't twist it into something that it isn't. But we must recognize it as sin. You know the first step, you guys know this, even if you're not an alcoholic. The first step for Alcoholics Anonymous is what? To admit that you are an addict. To admit that you have a problem. I mean, that's pretty wise. That's pretty sharp, right? You think that correlates to us as believers? Number one, we have to admit there is a problem. You're not going to be able to deal with your sin. You're not going to be able to fight this battle if you take your sin, if you take your shortfallings, if you take the things that displease God and you make them less. You say, well, that's no big deal. Or that's just really part of my personality. It's just kind of who I am. Or maybe, you know what, those other people, they just don't get me, etc. We need to be honest with ourselves, folks. If we're going to be successful in winning the battle, we've got to be able to call our sin, sin. David prayed in Psalm 69, God, you know my foolishness. I love this passage. You know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. As if to say, you know what, I, I, I can suppress them even from myself. But Lord, you know my foolishness. And you know what, my sins are not hidden from you. He says later, protect me from the hidden and secret sins. Psalm 139, search me. You know this passage, O oh God. Know my heart, try me, know my heart, and see. See if there be any what? Wicked ways. Uncover those things that we cover up, that we call something other than what they are. Uncover them. Haggai pointed out several times, I've taught you that passage before in Haggai chapter 1, consider your ways. Remember that? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. To the nation of Israel, consider your ways. Look at your life. Look at your life. What's going on? That needs to be the attitude of all of us. You can't eliminate what you haven't identified Needed to be eliminated. You can't eliminate something if you don't identify what it is that needs to be eliminated. Pretty straightforward. Number three, you also need to know your weaknesses. And I'm taking this just a step farther. You not only need to know your sin, but you need to know your weaknesses. If you're going to be successful in this battle as a believer against the sin that still lingers, not only do you need to call your sin sin, but you need to know specifically what your weaknesses are. You know, the best athletes, the best armies, the best organizations, the best businesses, the best churches, and the best individuals all understand clearly 
what their weaknesses are. You know, it's one thing to know what your strengths are. But to clearly understand what your weaknesses are is a vital part to any battle. I mean, think about it. The military. If the military doesn't understand where their weak point is, what's going to happen? That weak point is going to be taken advantage of. If an athlete, if Tiger Woods knows that his driver's not working today when he gets on the course, he's going to go to the three iron. That's what makes him such a good athlete. It's because he knows, I'm weak here. I'm going to go to something else. Athletes know this. Steve Spurrier knows this. Keith's not in here. Give him a hard time. Sorry, Bulldog fans. Michael Jordan knows when the jump shot's not working, you've got to drive to the hoop. The best athletes, the best militaries, the best organizations, the best churches, and the best Christians know their weaknesses. And you know what else they know about their weaknesses? They know that those weaknesses can and most certainly will be used against them if they're not recognized. Listen, if you don't, if you don't pick up on your weaknesses, you better be sure that your adversary will. Amen? You better be sure that your adversary will. Second Corinthians 12, listen to what Paul said. He said, I will only boast. He was talking about things he would brag upon himself. For, he said, the only thing I'll boast on are my weaknesses. He said that twice in that one chapter. As if to say, you know what? The only important thing for me to know about myself is not my, not my attributes, but my weaknesses. My weaknesses. Paul knew his weaknesses. In fact, Paul had what he called in 2 Corinthians 12, a thorn in the flesh. He had that sciatic nerve. He had that abscessed tooth. He had that splinter in his finger that he couldn't get out that just kept eating at him and eating at him. But you know what? He recognized it. He said, I have just this thorn in my flesh. I know it is there. In fact, he calls it a messenger from Satan to keep me from exalting myself. To keep him from thinking too highly of himself. To keep him from getting too overconfident. Knowing your weaknesses goes a long way in helping you to win the battle against sin. Know your weaknesses. Number four, not only do we need to know that we are in a battle, know our sin, know our weaknesses, we need to know how to fight practically. We need to know how to fight practically. Now, folks, this is uh, pretty straightforward. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. Do the things that keep you out of trouble and do the things that set you up for success. Don't put yourself in compromising situations when you know you have a weak area. If you know your weaknesses, avoid times and places and people who accentuate your weaknesses. Don't set yourself up for failure. I mean, that's practical, right? Don't set yourself up for failure. Paul said to uh, Peter, 2 Peter, He says, you know, there are times when we fall and we suffer because we are saints. There are times when we suffer because we do good. We do the right thing. But then he he gave sort of an addendum, sort of a warning, sort of a caveat. He says, but listen, hey, don't suffer because of your sin. Don't glory in your suffering when your suffering is because you're a murderer, an idolater, an evildoer. 
Essentially, what he says is, listen, don't be stupid here. I mean, don't be foolish. If you do the wrong things, you're going to get in trouble. So don't suffer when you don't have to suffer. Don't be foolish. Listen, do the practical things. Do the easy things. Set yourself up for success. Don't put yourself in a place where you're going to fall. Along those lines as well, plan ahead. Plan ahead. If you know your weaknesses, then plan ahead of time what your escape route will be. Know an evacuation plan. Have an emergency plan when you find yourself, not maybe by your own doing, but in a place where your weaknesses can become failures. Have an escape route. I mean, if you know a hurricane's coming, if you know the storm is coming, you don't go surfing. You get out of New Orleans. You move. You get out of where the storm is coming. Plan ahead. And when there is a storm coming, when there is a trial coming, when there is a temptation coming, and you know it's going to hammer on your weakness, having an escape route, having an evacuation plan beforehand will save you. Well, it will save lives, right? I mean, it saves lives. Let me keep going here. I'm running out of time. Number five, not only do you need to know how to fight practically, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say you need to know how to fight spiritually. And uh, I could spend a whole day talking to you about this. We could spend several weeks. But let me just give you a, a few things on the spiritual end of this battle that you can do to set yourself up for success when you hit the battlefield against your own temptations and against your own sin. Number one, uh, in fighting this fight, On the spiritual front, press in as close as you can to your God. Build your relationship. This is why number one priority on our church's list is that we follow hard after God. We build our relationship with God. Amen? The best defense is a seven foot three center. Put Shaq in front of you, okay? That's bad. I don't want to compare God to Shaq. It's terrible. Cut that out of the recording, Preston. Don't, listen, pressing in closer to God, here's what this does. It pushes sin out. The closer you get to God, the further you have to get from your sin. And you know what else? Sin can't hide in any one place in your life. One of the reasons that we fail as believers in this battle against sin is because we let sin linger in different compartments of our life. I mean, you guys guilty of that? I am. I compartmentalize. Here's my family life. Here's my work life. uh, Here's my engineering work life. Here's my church work life. Here's my home life. Here's my recreation life. You guys got compartments? Folks, if we don't get the sin or we don't attempt with everything that we have and God's help, by pressing in closer to God, if we don't get sin out of all those areas, it's like, a, it's like the worst kind of weeds. It's going to spread. It's going to infiltrate into all the other compartments. It's like a cancer. It's not going to stay where you think you would like it to stay. You can't just keep this little sin. You can't just keep this little shortfall over here and expect that it's not going to creep into every other place. Psalm 119 says, Oh, that my ways may be established 
to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed. And here's when he says, I'll not be ashamed. I'll not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Meaning that when I am fully abandoned to you, when I am fully committed to not just the commandments that are easy, not just the commandments that are convenient, but to all your commands. When I'm fully pleasing to God, then alone will I never be ashamed. We've got to press in. The next thing we can do to fight the battle spiritually is to uh, fight sin with the Word. You guys know this. There's a lot of passages I could give you uh, that talk about fighting sin with uh, Scripture. Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell, which means to take up residence or to abide or to build a house. Great word picture. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. And not just dwell in you. He throws in another great descriptive word. Let it dwell in you richly. Because it is beneficial. When you press in close to God, sin gets pushed out. When you get into the Word, and when you bring the Word in, sin gets pushed out. We meditate on it day and night. We hide it in our hearts that we might not sin. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By what? You remember? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. We think on these things, Scripture says. God's Word is really a control factor for your life. God's Word is a control factor for your life. The way to kill sin is to feed it with Scripture. Scripture to sin is like poison. It kills sin at the root. At the root. Jesus, you know, used the Bible when uh, He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Over and over and over. What did Jesus throw back at Satan? Bible. 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 Jesus found the Scriptures useful in defeating temptation. Whatever controls the mind controls your behavior. Whatever controls the mind controls the behavior. We have to get the junk out and put the good stuff in. Listen, the world is feeding your flesh every day. What are you feeding your spirit? I mean, what healthy stuff are you putting into your body spiritually? The world is feeding us triple cheeseburgers with bacon, clogging your heart. Feed your spirit T-bone steaks worth of Scripture. You you following me here? Now, let me say this. um, This isn't in my notes, but uh, I feel like, and I'm not trying to be catty here, but I think this needs to be said. What I'm not talking about here, um, I'm not talking about positive thinking, okay? It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the secret. We're not talking about uh, if you just believe it long enough and hard enough, it's eventually going to happen. What we're talking about here, biblically, is the truth. It's not wishful thinking. We're talking about the truth and lining our life up with what the truth about God is and what the truth about us is. So don't be fooled. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about this. If we name it long enough, it'll eventually come so that we can claim it, okay? Alright, let me get on. Um, how do we do this? You guys know. Very practical. Get under solid Bible teaching and preaching. Saturate yourselves in the Word personally. And this is probably where most of us uh, have a hard time. I love listening to other pastors even. I'll listen to a dozen sermons during the week. Not on what we're talking about, but on everything. I love listening to good 
teaching and good preaching. That's easy, okay? The hard part is me getting in there and feeding myself. And you've got to do that, guys. You've got to do that. You, gotta, you can't just parrot the guy who does get in his Bible. You've got to get in there into your Bible yourself. You have to absorb yourself in it. You know what the word scholar means? The word scholar comes from the Greek word skole. And it literally means to spend leisure time. How do you become a scholar? The inference is, is that you don't just do it when you have to. Because when you have spare time, what are you doing? You're getting in the Word. That's how you become a, a scholar. We get the word school from it. You are schooling yourselves in the Word. You spend time in God's Word. And you've got to do that. It's not easy. It's like working out. It's like working out. You can't just have a New Year's resolution. You've got to carry it on through the year. Uh, last thing about fighting sin spiritually. Uh, fight it with God. Fight it with the Word. Fight it on your knees, guys. And uh, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. Let me, let me give you just a question that you can pray as you fight spiritually against sin on your knees. The one question you can ask that's going to take you a long way. Ask in prayer with an honest and open heart, God, show me the sin in my life. Remember I told you just a, a few bullets up. We've got to know our sin. Sometimes our sin even disguises itself from ourselves. Ask God with an honest and open heart, God, show me, search me, search the depths of my heart, examine me. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to wait for part of those compartments in my life to start flashing in my mind and then commit to dealing with them. All right? Fight this deal spiritually on your knees. Number six, I got just a couple more here. We also need to know the battle doesn't go away. And this is both good news and bad news, guys. The battle never ends. Understand that the war has been won, but the battles rage on. Don't become complacent in the ring or you will get knocked out. Don't get cocky on the field or you're going to get burned. I had two guys when I was in seminary, both in their 70s. Great inspiration to me. Uh, Preston sat under one of these guys, old Irish guy. Was McGorman Irish? Scottish, Irish, same thing. And uh, he, uh, he, I remember him telling us, um, I had him for Romans. And we had a whole semester just tracking through the book of Romans. And I'll tell you, every day, this, this little old guy, he's bald, had a Scottish accent. Uh, he would stand up there and he would teach us the Bible. Uh, he would teach us the book of Romans. And, I, and I, I can't remember a day all semester when that guy didn't end up crying on us. This old 70-year-old sweet man would end up weeping in front of us, usually for one of two reasons. One, because of the grace and mercy of God, or two, because of the depth and the depravity of his sinfulness. And sometimes because of both, that those two things could exist, that God can know me completely and that love me still. And this guy would just end up, no matter where we were in the book of Romans, he just end up crying by the time we were done. It was that real. But I remember specifically, apart from that, I remember one other thing about that class. I remember one day him standing in front of us, and this guy was in his 70s, and him saying to a group of young men in seminary, saying, boys, this battle never ends. I'm in my 70s, 
and I still fight lust. And we're thinking, man, this guy's 70-something. He's about to... I mean, surely he doesn't still deal with some of the sins those 20-year-old guys are dealing with. He says, guys, I still have to fight the fight. I still have to fight the fight. Howard Hendricks, a guy at Dallas Theological Seminary, I sat under him for one class. He said the same exact thing, and it rang in my heart that these two men in the last quarter of their lives telling young men that the battle will continue. Now, there's just something about knowing. You say, why am I telling you this? There's just something about knowing that the battle will rage on that helps you to win those individual battles. 